This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Conversations with the Voice of Reason. I'm your host, Benjamin Boyce, and today's conversant is Angus Fox. Angus has written a series of articles for Quillette that run under the heading When Sons Become Daughters. What he's done is interviewed a number of parents of transitioning boys or boys in their teen years who come out as wanting to be trans, wanting to present and be seen by society as female. And he has explored that community, those support groups, and is writing about that. And in this conversation, we talk about the work he's done. We also talk about his experience as a gay man and his take on the gay community and also the LGBTQ plus community or phenomena. He's a great guy. And I think that this bro time that we have uh, leavens the exploratory episodes that I've been doing recently with radical feminists. Angus has a different point of view on gender, as one would expect from a man. So without further ado, here is Angus Fox. Why don't you tell us about your project then? I started because of you. Uh oh. <laughs> yeah, you're to blame for. Well, no. I started because of the video, a couple of things, but the video you did with the mother. You, I don't know. Uh, you probably had a lot of feedback on that one. That was an interesting one because the mother interview, and I haven't done a lot of these, there's this story to be told about the. I guess the trans widows as they're called and also the trans parents and the both of them involve talking about a third party. And I feel that's inherently weak and open to so much interpretation. Uh, and plus it, it, it's borderline. You're talking about a subject who's not there. So you're mm. looking at the aftermath. So I've been very wary of, treating mm. that through my style of direct discourse because I can't vet anything. Um, but that story itself was the mother talking about her daughter who transed and then totally cut off all ties. So I did want to put that out there. That mother remained anonymous as well. Right. So I saw that and I kind of thought, wow, there's something going on here. And then that took me to, the Heritage Foundation video with the radical feminist, like separatist revolutionary lesbian sitting there on a panel with a bunch of like suited conservative. And it was kind of like seeing a geisha on an oil rig or something. It's like, what what are you doing there? Um, and I thought something's going on here. Hmm. Um, but I sort of realized we're going to get the blame for this. Like we, I say we gay people and some gay people deserve the blame for this actually. Um, but like, if we do this for another 20 years, the backlash is just going to be immense and it will take people like me out with it. 
so a lot of the parents have always kind of thanked me for what I'd done and I kind of feel like you're doing as much for me as as vice versa because I need to differentiate myself from this horrible corporate exploitative movement which is behind I would argue most of the ROGD the rapid onset gender dysphoria so this teenage onset thing I, I don't think it accounts for all of it um and then it's funny the way the subconscious works because that was how I went into it. I was kind of like, you know, I don't want to be blamed for this. But down the line, bit by bit, I realized, oh my God, I would have done this. I would totally have done this. Um, hmm. So I feel, I feel like I have quite a lot of um, a sort of intuitive empathy for these young men. But I've, very, I've met very few of them having said that but I kind of understand them from the way that they're described. Hmm. Um, I think it's an interesting point though. I think normally you would want to, if you're doing good journalism, you would want to say, okay, well, you're making a series of statements about somebody else. You should go to that person, but we're just not in that moment. And what you have begun or have done is to collate a massive amount of anecdote Right. So you're yeah. you're looking at patterns yeah. across a variety of individuals, a variety of stories, even though those stories are in the third person, they're about somebody else. You're starting yeah. to see patterns and, and operating on that level, I think, starts to fill in the gaps that I yes, it's somewhat really do, you're being unless I speak yeah, with it, somebody like you who has done that particular work. Yeah, you're being quite generous because I think to an extent, when I, by the time I actually got into the parent group, which takes a long time to buy their trust, they kind of presented it to me as this collated story in many ways because they do a lot of research um, and they work with one another very closely. And so they were kind of... So there's stuff like... I'm not a natural researcher, so they uh, a lot of the statistics in part one of the series were just given to me. And I was like, well, okay. So I had a look at them, made sure that they were above board and just kind of thought, sure, they can go in. Um, so in many ways, it's like these parents are, are super informed, but they just can't say anything. So they need other people to kind of speak for them. Hmm. And what the moment that I sort of uh, joined this parent movement Shrier, everything was about Shrier. It was all that moment of irreversible damage. And I think that there was a feeling among the parents of the boys that as, as amazing as that was, they were starting to get a bit worried that boys are being left behind and they wanted somebody to do something specifically about boys. So I said, I'll do it. And uh, so I wrote to Quillette and kind of shamelessly name-dropped, because this group's been addressed by people like Schreier and Lisa Marciano and Stella O'Malley and all the rest of it. And uh, and I think that's why he said yes, you know, because it's just such an interesting story. And they're obviously a very serious group of people. They're not messing around, you know. Mm-hmm. So you kind of mentioned this, but let's get into it more. And as for what I've done, there is a large gap with the males. Male detransitioners, difficult to contact. Male mm-hmm. AGPs or autogynophiles or 
that whole network of male sexuality, uh, where a heterosexual male is compelled to become the object of his de desire and uh, mm -hmm. sees himself as loving himself as a woman or, or consummating a relationship with himself as a woman. And there's a lot of mm -hmm. sexuality tied up in that. And the discourse around male sexuality is obscured in this issue because most of the people who are speaking about it happen to be females. Uh, the detransitioners yes. that I speak with are females. The uh, radical feminists or the gender critical feminists are mostly females. And there's some males, but there's not a lot of just frank discourse about male sexuality uh, and yeah. just the male perspective. And whether you like it or not, it, there's a difference there, which is kind of... The yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a really critical point because... It can sound, it, you can just kind of come off as sounding really sexist, right? Like, we need men to be able to speak about men's issues. It's, it's quite difficult to say that without sounding like an MRA straight out of the gate. But, yeah, it is different, and we are different in some way. And after all, this whole gender-critical movement, if if that's what I, well, it, it is what I am, and I, I guess I would kind of associate that with you, we are premising it on the whole idea that there's a difference between men and women. So we can't then turn around and say, yeah, it doesn't really matter if any women talk about this. Um, and it's made it tough to talk about a whole bunch of things. Like autogynophilia is the obvious one, but also homosexuality. Mm -hmm. I think very often the reading of homosexuality from the women who are in, interested in and discussing MTF transgenderism it's sometimes like all homosexual people are saints like you're just a saint there's nothing that you could ever do wrong they they use it as though there are two types of of uh trans women or male to female or whatever you want to call it there's the autogynophiles who are devils and then there are the homosexuals who are poor exploited abused individuals and it's very simplistic there's no ability to talk about the fact that there's a real schism that emerges quite early in your life in the gay community between like the i guess the big g and the little g gays like the gay the gay guys who at the age of 50 are still doing party drugs and live in very much like live in a metropolitan center and have a very politically gay life if you like and then those of us who just kind of live like I do in the middle of the countryside and aren't, aren't going to allow our sexuality to shape our politics in that particular way and, and shape our social circle. Um, there's very little ability to talk about that and the portrayal in the media is quite bad. And, and honestly, I think I just blame us for that because it's not like, oh, there's a massive problem with gay people being underrepresented in the arts. Like, if only we could get our voice out there as script writers and creatives. I mean, you know, we are like, I'm sure about quarter of Hollywood is gay men, right? So it's, there's an extent to which we're responsible for that, that laziness. And I wouldn't be the first person to make the point, you know, Camille Paglia is very good on this. Like, where is, where are the kind of Oscar Wilde characters i think doyle might be doing a bit of that you know Define with Titania. That. What, what would be the uh, oscar wilde character and, well the person function? kind of pricking at the conscience of society the outsider looking in but able to do able to act in a way with some sort of cultural fluency and you know 
talk about what's going on with that distance from procreation and the family and all the rest of it. Yeah. 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 That idea of outsiderness or outsideness, it seems to be a vector or some sort of tension point of the gender politic or the LGBT politic that starts to center acceptance. Like they want to Mm -hmm. erase the outsideness of of these things. And so they, they kind of pathologize unintentionally. They kind of pathologize that outsideness instead of giving tools or just accepting that it's just accepting outsideness uh, from, you know, the norm is not inherently bad being an outsider of the norm there's a lot of growth and mm. there's a lot of stuff mm. there but erasing that outsideness by mm. making everything about acceptance and yeah and it also makes you very yeah. needy it makes you a kind of pathetic needy character because you're you you come off as like approaching the rest of society and asking or even demanding rather than starting from a completely different position which is accepting well okay i'm a statistical outlier I am statistically abnormal, not a moral judgment, just a statistical observation. And therefore, that's going to color what I do. And I can access various advantages from that, which people have done throughout the ages in all sorts of ways. And that's gone now. And that's why I think, Hmm. I think that's partly why there's so much animus in this debate when these young people really screaming about that how they need this and they need that and they have to be accepted in every single way because they're totally at odds with the idea of being different, which is funny when you think about it because it's all they talk about is how different they are. And yet, in a way, it's like they they all talk about being different and it makes them all the same, you know? It's that quote from um, Margaret Mead, the American anthropologist. I don't know if you've heard this, but never forget that you're entirely unique, just like everyone else. Yeah, you know they're, they're obsessed with this idea of being unique. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and then <laughs> then demanding that people accept that uniqueness. Or I was just watching a it was made for kids trailer about pronouns. You know, you have all these people they're they're dressed up, all this color, just very beautiful, elegant. Uh, but then they're demanding that nobody else can tell me what I am and gender me or define me. They need to adapt to how I define myself. I'm like, you're in the middle mm. of youth. You're not stable at all. <laughs> so you want well, to destabilize just, the rest of society. Yeah, it's not just that they're not stable. It's that they're public property because everyone is. You are public property. The only way you can stop being public property is by going to a lighthouse and living on it. I have the right to access your face if I come across you. I have the right to interact with you as a human being and to move around you in the same space as you. And and I think that that's, that's why so much of this does tap into narcissism. But you've got to be very careful saying this because I wouldn't want people, particularly not like the parents I'm working with, I don't want to say, hey, your kids are all narcissists. It's a generational thing. This, this hyper-awareness of the self and it's not good. It's not going well for us. I think well, somebody not, needs to revisit it. It's the erosion 
in the becoming the self becoming public property there's the erosion of the private the private space the different space the unique space the really set apart or sacred spot of the human being and mm-hmm. it's obvious that sexuality would be kind of like the main way where the body's privacy and the mind's privacy merge and then emerge and merge with other people and right. marketing sexuality or the placing of sexuality in your bio is something that defines you making that yeah, very it, private thing public has a cascade of effects yes and it also robs you of your right to reveal yourself on your own schedule and in your own way and i think that that's very important and i think that that's particularly important for people who have complexity to deal with it could be a complexity of trauma in their past or it could be the complexity of some kind of different characteristic which is actually genuinely important that if you're expected you know you see these bios and it's kind of like i'm gay and i'm autistic and i'm disabled and i'm proud it's like you're now expected to vomit that out as a kind of almost like a hat that you wear so that it's immediately accessible as soon as anyone meets you and it's it's really not very healthy um and it i think that it, one of the things with the with parents is that while you can expect parents to want to look after their kids and to and to mind their kids and to prepare their kids for the world there's a point at which they do have to step back and that's becoming harder and harder i think because because these young people are losing the ability or rather that's put it this way they're not gaining the ability to reveal themselves on an appropriate schedule according to their own needs and desires of the moment so it can be i mean i know that abigail schreier has spoken about this that there's an extent to which generationally the parents born in let's say the late 60s and the 70s can be very very protective to the detriment of independence and i think they know, i think a lot of them know that but it's really hard like it's like the fish knowing that it's swimming in water right it's just this whole culture that's developed and it's difficult to know how to get out of that yeah well what's something that you would like more people to understand about men young men boys that are particularly susceptible to the gender ideology what attracts them to that and oh that's a good question okay um so there's the 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 germans have a word for it as they say which is yeah got to be a bit careful with this one uh which is fach idiot um fach means subject yeah, I'm saying it very carefully. Can you hear the emphasis there? I don't oh want the God, algorithm I, to I cancel I wonder what you. the closed captions automated are going to do with this. <laughs> <laughs> I should, maybe I should just start saying, like, fatch and just pretend I don't know. How, I'll just say fatch. It, should we just say fatch? Anyway, fatch means um, subject and idiot means idiot. And it's kind of hmm. the guy. It's a very male stereotype. There are women who are like this, but... He's super, super academically gifted, but socially like a nine-year-old, like a naive, and sexually 
pretty behind and that the so the sexual and social development you know just don't happen i guess the archetype would be the um kind of like the nutty professor type of character where there's a sort of childish quality in the social sense but they're really really clever um and that's kind of what I was like. And it sounds very arrogant to say, like, oh, my IQ was blah, 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 blah. But the truth is, there's no use having a high IQ if you're so socially backward that you can't actually meaningfully function in the real world for, like, six hours without having some kind of breakdown because you you just haven't developed those skills. You haven't developed resilience. You are hypersensitive and all the rest of it. So that's really the one thing. Now, I, I want to be very careful about saying this. I'm working with parents, which is a self-selecting group of people who, with, I guess, three or four exceptions, do not think that AGP, which they know a lot about, explains what's happening in their families, or at least it doesn't explain all of it. And they also don't think that their kids are gay. There are exceptions and they actually discuss this in the group very openly. They're very knowledgeable. Like, they'll say, oh, I went back to Blanchard and, you know, I still think blah, blah, blah. Um, so I am not making a claim about the whole or even the majority of the ROGD cohort. Um, I'm just making a claim about the parents that I'm working with. And I also should sort of admit my own bias, which is that the more I heard about these uh, these kids, the more I was like, yeah, I was like that. Yeah, I was like that. Yeah, I was totally like that. Um, that they have these weird features, like a lot of them are hugely sensitive about certain types of clothing and materials. Um, they like ticking clocks, things like that really get to them. So this is the whole idea of um, hypersensitivity, or sometimes it's called super stimulability, um, which I discussed the other day with Jesse Manisto from Third Factor, that they're, they're, they're very, very sensitive. Um, and I think puberty hits them. And then sometimes there's like a trauma involved as well. So they've kind of got like the double whammy and they just can't deal with it. And the changes in their body, they're so susceptible to noticing them and to feeling like it's taking control away from them control they don't have and if they don't have any spare control to give hmm. and then this concept of gender identity comes along mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is that an insulating thing is it a forming thing you can hide yourself in there you can put yourself in there you can you can create that you can have control over over that yeah it's a reset button it's like factory reset hmm. because everything that's gone wrong they can just kind of say okay factory reset like you would if you just had multiple problems with your phone and you didn't really know what was going on you're like okay screw it factory reset they think themselves into this court most of them again i need to be careful because i think it's a bit more complicated than this but most of them seem to have thought themselves into a corner where everything that's making them unhappy would go away if they were women now there's a whole conversation about how you and I can't be women, but just to set that to one side, the problem with it is, is 
it's unfalsifiable. The only way that you can do it is to have medical transition, sex reassignment surgery, call it whatever you like. And then you're not a woman, you're a trans woman, which is a different thing in my view. I don't believe a trans woman is a subtype of woman. I think it's a separate concept. And then you're dealing with the fact that you're a trans woman. You're not a woman. So I think that this is a huge problem because these parents, like, they're not, they're not idiots. They've reached out to a lot of detransitioners. Detransitioners come and address the confidential Zoom groups. They build relationships. There are a lot, and not just detransitioners, but also people like uh, people who are regretful transitioners or ambivalent transitioners who kind of were very euphoric about it and gung-ho and then got to the point in their lives where they're like, okay, it's what I did. Not sure I'd do it again, but it's not the end of the world. So they do talk to these people, and that's why that's one of the many reasons why they're so convinced that the wrong thing is being done and that these kids are kind of decided that this is a panacea. It's going to solve everything. I'm going to be a woman. And very often, you know, it's like the kid might be like six four. You know, that's not going to be easy. Mm-hmm. So the what have you seen, or the patterns you've seen about the male sexual impulse that gets mixed up into this? I think one of the aspects of the conversation that suffers is because if you have a lot of uh, I apologize to the audience. If you have a lot of women speaking about male sexuality, it kind of takes on this uh, kind of negative tenor to it. How do we unpack that a little bit to kind of gain some more sympathy or some, put some more sympathy out there about male sexuality and how it uh, informs gender identity? Um, well, I think we need to talk openly about shame. Shame is a mechanism which regulates a society, right? So if you have a thing for having custard pies thrown in your face, you you kind of know that that's not normal and you should know that that's not normal and it's useful to you to know that that's not normal. So then you have some kind of impetus to stop or at least to try and, you know, direct that somewhere else. That appears to be disappearing. I mean, you see these people now and they're just it's out there you know it's like yeah i like to i like to wear diapers and do this and do that well, and it, i think the opposite that, of shame being pride and then pride sexually where yeah. the stuff is going on now it's yeah really weird and then pride escalates into arrogance and then before you know it you've got people saying well i'm more of a woman than you are you know and, and all this kind of nonsense hmm. um I think that we need to talk about the role in male sexuality of shame. And I think we need to talk about the role of predation. And I think men have to be in that conversation. Partly because when you're dealing, like, let's specifically talk about people who are young. Okay, so let's suppose you've got a 15-year-old. Let's suppose he's going into his girl's bedroom, stealing a pair of knickers and using them when he's by himself. Okay, so that could go one of two ways. He could do that privately, shamefully, for five years, 
and then kind of drift out of it and just kind of feel vaguely embarrassed about it and move on. And he'll probably use anyone who's like that is going to be a late developer. But by the time he's 38, he might be married, might be a kid on the way, and it would all be in his past. Or it can escalate enormously um, to the point that it takes over his life, it stops his career developing, it stops him forming any meaningful relationships and so forth. I feel very strongly that with these young people, and part of the problem is, of course, in the internet, you don't necessarily know the age of the person you're talking to, which is a problem we all have, and we all co-create, that if you've got, like, some 15-year-old who, yeah, okay, maybe he has got some autogynophile instincts, and a couple of the parents I'm working with, their boys definitely do, if if they're to be believed, and I believe them that's not you know it's not like chicken pox it's not like you have it or you don't they can move through that and shame can regulate that in some sense and support Mm. can also help them support in other areas of their lives giving them something to aim for which isn't just sitting around on the internet talking about how they're trans you know um So I worry somewhat about some of the... Because there are some people who just treat it as though AGP is just leprosy. Like, it's over. You're dead. Give up. Doesn't matter how young you are. Doesn't matter how private and shameful it is. If you have any kind of instinct like this, you are subhuman there is that element to this which i hear and i understand why that's become the case because these absurd things that these awful men get up to going into women's toilets and you know preying on people and all the rest of it so i i i wouldn't want anyone to hear this as an attack it's just that at the same time it can actually trap very young men like men who young boys they're still at home it can trap them in this trans identity if they try to strike out in a different direction then it's very difficult let me give you a concrete example um i think i talk about this with somebody else but i can't remember there was this picture on twitter and it was a guy i'd say he was in his mid-20s he just looked like a guy you know he had quite oily skin eyes much further apart than a woman's would be he was a guy and um it was a selfie and the caption was i've been on estrogen for seven years when does the looking like a girl bit start now he's never going to look like a girl it's just not going to happen he's been sold a pub our side should say look, we're not keen on what you've been, you know, if you've been going in in women's toilets looking like that and so forth, we're not keen on that. But we believe you've been sold a pup. You're young. You can turn this around, but listen to the arguments that we have to make. And who knows, he might be open to, I don't know, maybe I'm just a ridiculous optimist, but he might be open to that. Mm -hmm. Whereas the replies to that to that message were some of them were pretty vicious it was kind of like serves you right you're talking about a guy who may have lost his erectile function he's probably infertile and he's wasted many good years of his youth on this ridiculous idea that anyone was ever going to look at him and with you know whatever 
surgical interventions took place. It was never going to happen, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that's the kind of thing, when I talk about trapping people in a trans identity, that it's like... If that's what he gets, if he sticks his head above the parapet and says what he effectively said was, I'm, I'm just not sure about this hormones business, our side should be saying, damn right, and we're angry on your behalf with the people pushing this. But as it is, he puts his head above the parapet and he gets kind of like a, a volley of arrows saying, yeah. screw you, screw you. And yeah. for young people, I'm... I feel quite strongly that's the wrong way to do it. Now, having said all of that, in terms of, like, your, your, your 50-year-old predatory AGP, I have very little to say about them. I, I feel like the radical feminists have said it all, and I 100% support them. <laughs> the, you mentioned the role of predation, uh, and that goes into the concept of grooming. And with the internet, it's such a dangerous place what happened on reddit it's, i can't believe they did this but they went through and they culled every uh gender critical subreddit that they could <laughs> like mm -hmm. a year ago and then mm -hmm. um the purge and then it turned out that one of their one of their like somebody on their board or something like that was a pretty out there oh you're, yeah you're talking political about british uh, what, yeah, what's yeah, the name again? Uh, Amy Challoner. Yeah, Ch Amy yeah. Challoner. Um, turned out that they were suppressing every mention of them from the website. So this this website that's huge, Reddit's huge, and there's these communities of discourse that are very strong. And if it's slanted towards trans acceptance, and it's a very radical trans acceptance, where very often you see the you know two chromosomes Reddit be flooded by pictures of trans women or, or men mm. in transition. Uh, it's very weighted in that direction. It's all mm. anonymous. It's all text-based. You don't see any pictures. I, I, you don't see profile pictures, let's put it that way. Then you have these communities where young people find meaning, find discourse, and you don't know how it's gated. You don't know all the people in there. There could be. There's very likely a very strong contingent of older men who are very given to oh, yeah. manipulating or, or shaping young men mm. or young. Yeah, men. that's, I mean, <clears throat> I have to be a bit careful about this. I keep saying that, but it's true um, because I'm working with a small set of people, but like 10% of the people I've worked, uh, uh, these parents I'm working with have seen evidence of direct peer to peer adult to child sexual grooming. And about half of them suspect it. Um, anyone, this is one of the things that's happened is that now you can just drape a, a rainbow flag or a trans flag over something, which is clearly predatory sexual behavior and say, it's acceptance, it's queer acceptance, it's queering the narrative, it's supporting young people with their trans journey. And of course, you don't know who any of these people are. So people kind of ask, I've had this conversation about grooming with a couple of people, and they say, well, who are these people? Are they, are they trans women? And I say, what does that even, I'm a trans woman. Like, I can just call myself a trans woman right now. It's an unfalsifiable concept. You're a trans woman. Anything's a trans woman. And then within a second, it's not. So 
You're absolutely right. And it's a huge, huge issue. And no one can discuss it. Because if you discuss it, if you talk about predatory male homosexuality, um, pedophilic male homosexuality, you are immediately called a homophobe. And that's a very, very sticky label. It's difficult to get that off you. Um, I think that it's a terrible problem and it's hijacking. It it goes back to it's hijacking and inverting the shame. It's, it's taking Mm -hmm. shame away and then causing taboos to form over any sort of challenging of that shame of that regulatory behavior. But yes. that regulatory, the people who are regulate or who are trying to release regulatory behavior from certain behaviors are doubling down on that and forcing it out to say that there's, you know, viciously undermining, deplatforming. Uh, you know, there, there was just a episode on 60 mm-hmm. Minutes that was supposed to be about detransition, and the activists yeah, yeah, heard yeah. wind about that, and they bookended that, and they squished out, and they, they drew out as much of that detransition narrative as possible to mm-hmm. forward a very particular narrative. Um, yeah. Do you, know, um, do you know the phrase, do it to Julia, from 1984, when he's when Winston is being tortured and tortured and tortured and the, they know that the authorities know that they will get him when he says, do it to Julia, which is his lover, that that's what they're, that's why they're torturing him. So they can get him to the point where he will betray anything. The one thing which is closest to his heart, do it to Julia and do it to Julia kind of means fine. I'll submit to you. Just go and pick on somebody else. The way that what happened last night with that 60 minutes documentary was just do it to Julia. The, you, the way they framed the whole thing, it was like they just totally threw the detransitioners under the bus, in my view. Completely threw them under the bus by making it seem as though the real problem is anti-trans activists, by which they mean basically you and me and anyone trying to have a real conversation. Um, and it's just their way of saying, it's just kneeling down. It's just submitting. And it was, I, I find it really pathetic. I have to say, um, I'm very sad. Um, to come back to the Challoner thing, yeah, it, it's it's extraordinary how much power you can get just by hiding behind this label now. And not just the label trans, but the label queer. There's all sorts of labels you can hide behind. And my terrible fear with all of this is like you think like go back to the 70s and the 80s and the 90s like okay so imagine you've got a male pedophile how many kids in reality can he access well maybe he's got kids of his own maybe he gets lucky and he goes he gets a job in a school or something like that or as a scout master or you know whatever now thousands they're just that millions millions of kids alone in their rooms with an internet connection and anyone can make contact with them and there's no barrier at all not meaningfully so a lot of the parents i'm working with that you know their sons have met these people who were they say things like you know oh sometimes when i'm feeling sad and feeling like i want to cut myself it helps if i do it right so that's fairly open and shut now i know 
I want to be a bit careful what I say here. I know people who've approached the authorities with transcripts and it just doesn't really go anywhere because they can't work out who is who and who isn't and so forth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Go on. Sorry. The, The culture of consent with taboos, protecting consent around it. It's, is actually eroding. It's, it's all twisted. It's all queered. Everything's queered because consent is it, it's about eroding of all those barriers um yeah. that the culture of acceptance of inclusion of destroy all boundaries destroy all shame uh we, we're gonna love you for who you are you you put that in the mix and then you enforce it pretty strongly and on top of this incredibly connected mesh work of you know lights and sounds through the internet then you have a bunch of individual boys who are probably in some respects more clever than their parents or just really very unique that their parents don't even understand so they are Mm. kind of alone and they're seeking for somebody can vibrate at their frequency and And they're very intelligent but they've got no experience and that's of course a very dangerous thing because they know that they're smart but they're also very very naive you know no matter how clever you are if you're a 14 year old you can't pretend to be a 50 year old in text it's not going to work any 50 year old unless unless you're really dumb you can pretend to be a 14 year old you just rope off certain things that you wouldn't say because you wouldn't have the insight to say them and these kids don't know that add into that the fact that there's this undercurrent in all of this the education system now which is that basically your parents are until proven otherwise they're probably just bigots Like, that's just a safe assumption to make about anyone's parents. That is the kind of thing that's leaking through now, particularly in your country, I think, and particularly in Canada, particularly in those two countries. There's something very dark going on in the curriculum where it it is quite Soviet, I think, this sort of um, just mistrust your parents, just assume that they're not truly on your side. And when you add that in... And, it, you know, you've got a boy and he's forming some kind of relationship. Of course, what paedophiles do is they they nurture while they abuse. So he's kind of saying, this, this older guy, he's, on the one hand, he's saying, well, maybe you should cut yourself and I can watch to make sure, you know, it goes okay. Ha ha. But then on the other hand, he's probably also saying, wow, I love that that uh, cartoon you drew it's amazing you know you're so you're so talented so the boy's getting the validation that's what abusers do right they give and they take mm-hmm. um so that can go on for some time before it even hits the parents radar so in the cases where there is grooming by the time the boy quote unquote comes out as trans to the parents it's like you could be sitting on top of months of really complex cognitively exhausting situations that that boy has been through so very often when you talk to parents and you'll get them to tell their story what happens is they have like three months where the kid was really down and then came out as trans now i think that that could be part of this that they fall into an online community which is doing something fundamentally abusive to them but our culture is packaging it as support um exploration adventure self-acceptance and and in many ways it's the opposite how did you develop 
acceptance or antibodies to your dysphoria? What was that process? Um, I think I got bored. I think I got bored of thinking about it. I think I just got bored of the way that I felt and the obsessive rumination and the inability to function. And in so many ways, I think when you have an inability to function, like if you've sort of reached the conclusion, rightly or wrongly, that you have difficulties operating, let's take let's take a stammer, for example, that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? So the only way you can really get past a stammer, I imagine, preface my comments by saying I'm not a clinician, is really, it's going to have to have some kind of component of not caring about whether you stammer, right? Do you guys say hmm. stammer or stutter? Stammer, stutter. Stutter stammer. Okay, cool. Um, I, I mean, I people in America could probably most easily visualize it as saying "like" or "right" every fifth syllable. Okay, well, I have a stammer. Something <laughs> I, wor I work. I've had to work about, but you do have to give it up, then pay attention to it, and then give it up, and then pay attention to it, and then give it up, and then pay attention to it. Yeah, mine is so. I say so a lot, and right as so. well, but. But it's kind of more important to to say what you actually want to say, right? You can't see. That's another example of it, that if you were to become hyper aware of this, then you're never going to articulate the things that you want to articulate. I, so in my case, I just sort of got bored. I just got bored of thinking about hmm. why I couldn't look in the mirror. I just got bored of it. Now, it turns out there were some pretty good reasons. Good reasons in the sense of, um, things that were unusual and that I had to go through and that the average person didn't have to go through. But there comes a moment in life where you do have to sort of move on. And there's a cruelty in that. And I worry that this younger generation, nobody's telling them that, you know, that they what live... Mean, cruelty. Well, it's cruel to say to somebody who's in pain from what for whatever reason, like, okay, stop wallowing, get off your backside, start moving. Yeah. But it's cruel to be kind. And it's almost impossible to articulate that to these young people because they live through their trauma. They, they're proud of their trauma. If something bad happens to them, they think of it as like this wonderful accolade then it functions as a sort of shield. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And add so, to that the infinitely yeah. magnifying... When you were talking about earlier about you're kind of just painting the picture of these young boys going through puberty and like these these weird things are happening to their bodies. And I, I was put in the mind when those feelings were going on with me, they were outsized. Like I, like if, if I didn't like my nose, my nose would be five miles long and everybody could see it. They were tripping over it constantly when nobody was actually seeing that. Like there's, yeah. there's, there was a disproportionality in my imagination with my problems. But when you add that to the internet where there is no limiting factor at all, it can go on forever yeah. and all your feelings can go on forever. That feeling of harm or trauma, 
or a mm. fence that can go ex- expand forever. And you'll always find people to nurse that and to echo that. They, the echoes and echoes and echoes and echoes. And you can build a whole community around it. Yeah. If you label it, if you life. find the right noun and, and then the memes grow out of the back end of the noun Ooh. and then you form social links through that and before you know it, that's it and that's your whole life. And so some of these young people they move into these like communes i mean in oregon it's crazy because basically you can just say like i've forgotten the term but there's some term and it's like an lgbtq blah 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 house and the state just pay essentially you just live rent free right you just by kind of slapping a rainbow sticker on it and so then you're you're surrounded by other people who are also I don't know, what would you say, like performing their trauma every day and locked in this very narcissistic moment. And it's a hell of a feat to get out. And that's why, you know, I think there's a role for laughing at some of this. And there's a moment to laugh at them and then there's a moment to take them seriously. And we have to judge that. If you take them seriously all the time, you're contributing to it. But on the other hand, if you just laugh at them, you are feeding the idea that society has ultimately given them, which is that their lives are meaningless. I mean, that has to be what's behind this. When they're told, it's like, yeah, well, yeah, fine, okay, you you are going to have a much higher risk of heart disease and you are going to have a much higher risk of stroke and your dating pool is going to reduce by probably around 90%, but like, that's not terribly important. No, that is important. So society's telling them that they don't matter and I think our side, the gender-critical side, has to walk a, a high wire here that we have to tell them that they do matter, but we can't take them as seriously as they take themselves at every point. And that's a balance. Well, it's I'm shifting. Sure I get it wrong. It's shifting the nexus of value. For me, it just comes down, okay, well, that's what you are. Good, good job being that thing. What are you doing? Oh, that's kind of more difficult, isn't it? to actually produce something other than a oh, that, so it, Yeah, I'm obsessed with this idea of going from when you're talking about anything like this, don't use a noun if you can use an adjective, don't use an adjective if you can use a verb. Nouns are like inherent properties. Yeah. It's it's okay. what you are. It's a, it's a feature of what you are. An adjective is, could be a, a property, but it could be a state. It could be something, you know, it's how you are kind of yeah. now maybe it won't be and a verb is what you're doing so this is basically like cognitive behavioral therapy right which is that stop telling me what you are or how you are or how you feel tell me what yeah. you're doing like what what did you actually do have you been drinking booze you know have you done something etc if you listen to the language these young people they're so fixated on what they are and a lot of the time we need to move the language along to mm-hmm. yeah, 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 yeah stop telling me what you are it's very important i'm sure but what are you doing because very often the answer to that is nothing <laughs> nothing at all um so stella and i stella O'Malley and i are quite keen on this you know like getting the terms right here right? there's a whole yeah. philosophical debate about this whole idea of tra- like, yeah. who is trans it's the kathleen stock she's very good on that but I like this term gender questioning kids simply because it's got an ing. It's an activity word, right? It's like mm-hmm. you are questioning your gender. That is it. Yeah. Let's not make it into some lifelong state. Yeah. 
state that everyone else has to dance around. Yeah. Um, if, if you just start to be an asking, whenever you read the word trans kid, just ask, <laughs> what is it, trans kid? I'm very happy to use the term trans to mean somebody who has gone through medical transition. That's fine. That's nice and clear. Like you're trans, you've taken hormones, you've had surgery. Fine. It's totally meaningless. For a start, if you take away clothing and language, it cannot exist. Transgenderism cannot exist without clothing and language. Not really. I guess you could add into that mannerism, maybe. It's a totally, this this idea that trans is like this internal quality of I am trans. Because it, but it falls apart, to use the phrase from Rod Little, it, it falls apart like a mohair sweater knitted by the village idiot. You just pull at a thread and the whole thing just unravels. Like, well, I am trans. Okay, what does that mean? Well, I identify as a woman. What does that mean? Well, I feel like a woman. What is that? And then suddenly you realize you're in season one of Mad Men, that you're dealing with these absurd, <laughs> as Julie Bindle said, like if if everyone dressed like some people in the trans rights movement dress, we'd be living in the, the on the set of Grease, the movie Grease, right? It's it's you're dealing with these absurd caricatures <laughs> and it falls apart quite quickly. Trans kids, this is I mean, it's terrifying. There was one of these in Britain where <laughs> They took this girl, these parents, these awful people, took this girl and put her in, like, some corrugated dress that looked like it was, you know, the hull of a ship or something with, like, a massive petticoat and ribbons and, you know, just, like, dressing her like a doll. So she was so hemmed in and took a picture. And then, surprise, surprise, it turned out she didn't really enjoy being dressed like that. So then they were kind of like, oh, and we realized she she was very masculine and she liked wearing boys' clothes. So so now we have a, a son. You know, now that child is going to really suffer for some time for being alienated from her own body in that way by people yeah. who had an idea of what it is to be a girl, which is yeah. so regressive. Yeah, th this is where... This is where things get complex for me and why I have uh, a wariness towards describing myself being gender critical. Because I think gender is fun and uh, it's a social signal and it's, it's how we perform um, attraction and uh, soft, soft forms of manipulation. That's how we get along uh, the gender that you produce or that you switch on when you're around men and around women that changes, uh, understanding that cultural code, and then understanding this thing called literature writ large, which is the manifestation of sex roles in a dramatic form, which I would consider as gender. When you throw all of that out, when when you when you pour the critical acid on all of that, what do you have left? What do you have for the guiding rails, like a trellis for young men and young women to grow? If we're if we're going to say that they're they are different, then in what ways are we going to support that difference? If we're going to say they're not different, then we're going to run up into places where they 
they are, and then they we don't have these cultural codes for them to start mating on down the road or getting along, right? Sure, sure. But step one has to be biology. So there is a certain kind of, yeah, I hear you, and that's a really good point. There is a certain attitude which is like, everything is socialized. Everything is socialized. All difference is socialized. It would be useful if we could actually work out what is caused by hormones? And it can't be beyond the wit of humanity to work that out, right? So when <laughs> we know that there's, you know, nurture roles and this role and that role, okay, so let's just talk about it. Is that estrogen? How much of that is estrogen? It's got to be some of it. And there are some people who go absolutely ape. When you say that, they just lose it. Because if you take away from them the idea that everything's socialized, it's almost like condemning people to something i agree with you i i don't it's that whole thing about ownership of words isn't it it's like are we prepared to that there's a school of thought which says okay let's just dump the word gender but you're right that if we dump the word gender and we're gonna and have to alongside it, it the, yeah or we'll have to find something else to talk about the same concept yeah. and it would just be a different word in which case why are we bothering um yeah, it's funny because in, 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 this whole thing of like, so let's go back to feeling feeling like a woman or feeling like a man. So part yeah. of me thinks, okay, yeah. first British person in space was a woman, Helen Sharman. Now, I am fairly certain that when she was like strapped into the rocket ready to go, she probably didn't feel like a woman. She probably didn't feel like a man. I suspect she felt like an astronaut, right? Because that was the salient thing that was going on yeah. at the time yeah. but on the other hand i have days where i feel more like a man i mean you could phrase it differently you could say i have days where i feel more confident or more present in myself or more attractive even yeah there's there's that in myself but there's also certain characteristics in order to get the best result out of others and my time with them, I bring out certain aspects of myself. I will suppress certain uh, feminine trending aspects of myself uh, around people who wouldn't like that. And then I bring out the masculine parts. Um, I'm, I'm pretty, I think I'm pretty balanced. I'm pretty well balanced. I've done a lot of work on uh you know, kind of thinking through those aspects of myself. I don't really concretize them. That's the problem with gender ideology. It tries to concretize them in the body or just making them completely meaningless by inventing all these terms that go that that you can't imagine in a drama. But when we're talking about that little girl who doesn't like dresses, you don't just automatically flip over to she's a boy, but you mm -hmm. still want to honor the woman inside of her and recognize her as a woman and i think that does go into i'm sorry oh, this wait, is I, this might be really really regressive hold on a minute, am hold i breaking on. up am i breaking up for a second sorry i got you back sorry that was i think that was my internet went down sorry i was i was gonna i interrupted you that was i would i was gonna regret <laughs> What were you going like, to say? Well, you have to tell me now. <laughs> well, I just this is this is a really regressive. I I can see how this is perceived as aggressive, uh, regressive of me, but I think recognizing and appreciating a woman for her femininity is good. It's not wrong. Uh, and I think that expressing appreciation for a, a boy and his masculinity is 
is not wrong either. It holds them to a certain standard of producing those latent capacities in such a way that they fit in nor, uh, fit in beneficially in society later on. Uh, yeah, so, I agree with that. My, I suppose my angle is like, it's almost like about kitsch. Some of these things, they, they descend into yeah. kitsch. Yeah. Um, and that's where I get lost. But I agree with you in the sense that there are some people within the sort of gender critical movement, if we want to call it that, who who say, oh, all I care about is medical transition. We have to stop the medical damage, the medical transition. As far as I'm concerned, if you want to be seen as a boy when you're actually a girl, I celebrate that. I don't celebrate that. I think that that's a disaster. Why? Because I think that you have an obligation to yourself if you are a girl to grow up to be a woman, and I think you have an obligation to yourself if you are a boy to grow up to be a man. Hmm. Why? <laughs> <laughs> because you don't have any other option. What are the, what are the other options? You can... This is this is all. This is just landmines everywhere you look. This is like this is the part of the gender conversation where you just can't get into because you're going to get wrapped on the knuckles no matter what. You say, well, you can try to be a woman, but you're going to be a pretty poor facsimile of a woman unless you spend a lot of energy and effort uh, hmm. modifying your body. I'm talking to a male. Modifying your body, modifying your voice. Uh, you're dumping hmm. a lot of attention in order to produce the effect of a woman. Maybe that's your authentic self, but how much production post production are you doing on that your authentic self i'm not going to stop if you want to put that much time into that part of you but what to what end do you do you want to go if you accept yourself as a man and then and then figure out how to round out those qualities in a way that's comfortable to you and that that actually fits into society as it it's unfortunately more or less arbitrarily formed by cultural norms that you can't change without wrecking a lot of things that you don't really understand what, you, what you're dealing with when you just yeah. want to tear out the whole system. And I think gender is a system that you can't just completely criticize into non-existence without it having to be re-erected and a whole bunch of very slow um, evolutionary steps of regulating men and regulating women in the uh, the you know, in their potentials and then the outcomes of what it means to be a woman, what it means to be a mother and a father specifically. And without those anchors, with that antinatalism, uh, just throwing away all of your history and then all of your future, there's no more anchor for gender to mean anything at all. So I understand how it kind of goes hand in hand. Gender doesn't actually mean anything if you take away procreation, if you take away mothering and fathering children. It... it yeah, right. Well, I mean, or, or to put it at a m much more basic level, that if you were on a desert island by yourself, you kind of can't be transgender. You can't be any kind of gender because yeah, it is be ultimately you are a sex being, but yeah. it, it's it, it comes from other people and the way that they interact with you. I am not of the view that people should not be able – I wouldn't vote to ban this. I certainly think it should be restricted um, – in the case of children and young people and i personally would extend that limit quite high particularly in the case of people who are dealing with trauma sexual abuse other vulnerabilities you're talking about um, medical production of uh sexual transition of some sort yeah, specifically yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, there's clearly is. We've made a terrible, terrible mistake. Uh, but I wouldn't ban this. But you're absolutely right. It's like there's a high threshold. If you're going to come along and say it's worth all of this work and it's hard work, then you need to have a really good reason to do it. A really good reason. And it can't just be that you've got some vague concept in your head. To go back to pushing you in front of landmines... Um, <laughs> which I appear to be doing. I'll throw um, myself on them. Hopefully you survive. <laughs> excellent. Um, I think that the, the, one of the things is that it, it gets very difficult with homosexuality because you can, ext- and, and some trans people have done this. Um, I don't want to name names because I hate pylons. But there are ch- people who've come along to certain trans people and said, oh, you're not doing what you're meant to do with your body. And then the trans person turns around and says, wait a minute, you're gay. You're not doing what you're meant to do with your body. Um, there's a difference, but it's, you know, it's the point which merits some consideration. The difference is, is damage, ultimately, I think. Um, but, it, you know, if you take that central concept of male and female and the procreation of our species... One of the things where I guess I would meet you in saying we do need, well, you could call it gender, you can call it whatever you like, is there is a playfulness, whether it's the way that you respond differently to men and women, whether it's the way that I respond differently to men and women, whether it's maybe you respond differently to straight women than you do from lesbians and all the rest of it. There's that playfulness. There's the Annie Lennox boy george that playfulness i think particularly in the english-speaking world in recent years that's been a very interesting and colorful and rewarding phenomenon you know there's there's some joy in that and it can't exist unless it is defined in opposition to the base and the base is men and women having heterosexual relationships and there are some people who are gay and trans who are just like you can't say that to them. It's they just lose it. And it really comes down to what is meaningful for us as a species. And then what is meaningful for you as an individual? Yeah. I I always think it's worth making reference to people who are infertile because then the whole thing becomes completely different, right? It's just, I, I have a huge problem with anything that treads into your life is meaningless if you can't have children. Not least, yeah, because no, yeah, 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 yeah. But, no, I, but you, I, uh, yeah, I appreciate the point. Gone, yeah. yeah, yeah. You, but you haven't gone in that direction. But that's very different because we are able to situate us. Those of us who are outsiders to that dynamic, we are able yeah. to situate ourselves outside it and appreciate it and operate around it and play with it. So this is one of the reasons that it's so annoying to me what's happened to drag. Because drag was kind of fun, and then the trans—what are we calling them? I always get this wrong. Uh, the trans, trans, trans women went into it. Like the, it became medicalized. So the, so it used to just be guys in dresses playing to an audience of gay men, and it was—you yeah. can argue—it was a sort of processing system for that outsider status within the gay community. And then it went big and it went global and it became this big money-making thing. And now suddenly it's been wrapped up with trans and people are losing the ability to kind of distinguish, okay, that over there, that's gay male drag. 
over here we have yeah. something completely different that's all blurred that's not useful because hmm. that's a way of those of us who are outsiders processing our outsider status having something which is just for us but without it insulting or interfering with the main body of society right so hmm. a lot of feminists Rad femmes have a real problem with drag and say, like, you know, well, this is also woman face. Woman face. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So what do people in the gay male community expect? Like, either it has to be a gay male thing, which means, yeah, sure, if you want to come to a drag bar, then you're most welcome. But you don't market it. You sure as hell don't send drag queens into school libraries to talk to four and five year olds. You keep it. You make it this joyful thing which is separate. And as soon as you lose that and you kind of just do this deranged equality mongering where it's like, oh, now where are the drag police officers or whatever nonsense comes out of this logic, mm -hmm. then you can expect to be judged on a completely different standard. You have to be. Mm -hmm. So there is this something about the violation of this category of outsider which is difficult to articulate without being called a bigot but it's yeah. important yeah yeah we've lost the ability i think i think for you know a lot of history and uh the the status of the homosexual male was not just an outsider but actively depending on where you are at in history actively suppressed vilified uh, beat up, you know, everything from, from mm -hmm. physical violence to being shot out of the community to privately mm -hmm. accepted. Uh, and then we did a, as a society, we did a very concerted push to vilify that which would vilify the homosexual and allow the homosexual male and the female to live their life, to get married and to have all the rights and access to everything else and to stop the, the prejudicial treatment of that community. Um, and and so to extend respect to that community so that that those individuals who end up in that community who are in that community can function without being oppressed or marginalized actively by the normal folks the the that is that balance was it, it, as soon as that balance was attained, then the erosion, then the queer theory comes in. And mm -hmm. I think it even might be just the activist mindset of problematizing and, and positioning things for power went over over the line and started to erode norma normativity, to erode the normal, to make the queer, let's say, just broadly speaking, and I know that that's still a slur, I don't completely adopt that term, but to make the queer, the for for young people, the thing to be, to, to make that the, the new normal, to, to be unique and to transcend difference, to be the outsider is, is the new normal, which it just has this whole cascading effect of well what's normal now yeah and are you do, is normal yeah. valid anymore or do you have to be different to be valid well there's yeah and and then just to backtrack a little bit there's also money i mean it, it, there's an extent to which this conversation isn't quite complete without money because of course yeah. many of the legacy gay rights organizations i'm not the first person to make this point kind of got what they wanted and then thought oh, oh, right that's the end of the gravy train, right? The income tap slowly closes off. 
and that was the point where all of their the about sections on their website got totally reworked and rather than having like a specific goal like we want what do we want we want gay marriage or we want this or we want that and they all got reworked into these astonishingly nebulous things like we will not rest until everyone is free from discrimination right that's a march to the horizon so yeah. that's essentially saying fund me fund me fund me forever mm-hmm. um so you see that i think uh, oh, i don't want to say which one it is because i'm not 100 percent sure there's a certain british prominent sort of gay paper i guess you would call it gay magazine where in the space of three years that, that somebody did a token count of how many times do you see the words lesbian gay bisexual and trans in some variety of trans transgender and transsexual and over the space of three years trans went from 10 percent of the overall tokens to 70 70 right because they kind and what happened well at the beginning of that, those three years you know that's when gay marriage came in in many countries uh, gay adoption where that's relevant so they kind of ran out of stuff to do. It's a bit like, you know, if you work in a university department and you get to the end of the year and somebody goes, oh, God, we've got loads of budget we haven't spent. We better organize a conference and buy loads mm. of library books, which is a real thing, you know, and they just kind of. So they pivoted. And now mm. I think that it's sort of dawning on them that they've bought into an ideology that they can never ever escape and not only can they not escape it they cannot stop it metastasizing and eating the next thing and the next thing and the next thing what is that what is that ideology uh i would argue that that ideology is the ideology i wouldn't call it yeah if we're speaking technically i wouldn't call it gender ideology I would call it, I would call it disembodiment. That's what I think we're really dealing with. But certainly the denial of biological sex. Okay. And you see this very clearly in the gay community. Oh, I, I even want to say there is a gay community. Media, Let's say the yeah. gay press. Media, press, yeah. Yeah, where they're now, they've now completely convinced themselves that I am somebody who is attracted to somebody who presents of a certain something. gender. Yeah. Now, if we're using that, if we're using your definition of gender, oh no, that's unfair. If we're talking about gender as the way that people relate to one another, so that would that would be yours, but it's also kind of mine. I don't want to put blue water between us. Then I suppose that's true in some way, but there is something far more fundamental, which is that I am attracted to, there is a, it's a body, it's a sex that I'm attracted to, that you have to have for me to get to the point where I could be romantically interested in you. You have to have a certain body. Now, we can then add on to that your presentation, your way of being in the world. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which, so the, so we could call that gender, for want of a better word, but... Uh, so that is, so I would argue it's this this disembodiment. And again, I come back to this, mm. that these people all live in cities. They all live in cities. Whenever you see somebody who's kind of involved in gay media, even though there's no reason for it. I mean, here I am sitting in the middle of nowhere talking to you. We can all communicate. 
They live in cities. They have very disembodied kind of transactional lives. There are loads of gay people who are hmm. whatever, you know, like farmers or retired people living out in the country. So it's very ageist and it's very... I would argue it's quite classist in its own way, but in, particularly in a in a geographical way, that it, it speaks to this consumerist model, which is very, hmm. you know, it, it, it has no connection in that sense. And so it brings us back to the thing I spoke about where, you know, gay men go one of two ways. It feels to me, at least, like gay men go one of two ways quite early on in life, that you either go into this hypersexual metropolitan way of being or you just don't hmm. like i did just be a person yeah just be a person exactly yeah yeah the um yeah with activism and this is the problem with identity politic of any stripe of any stripe and this is why i get in trouble with even activists who i agree with or work alongside with uh, against other activists but once you start to claim an identity and then start to formulate activism around that identity, you make certain assumptions about that identity and promote certain aspects of that identity. And then you start to suppress people of that identity that don't get, aren't politically that identity. You see that with black mm. politic mm. here. Um, but no group, but like, just say the gay thing, like it, once you make gay a political thing, like, what is it anymore? Like, yeah. in, in order to get certain things, I understand that coming together. But the gayness doesn't perpetuate beyond the right gained. The the gayness is situated in the individual, not in the groups of individuals. I mean, you know, in, in the you know, in the in the cultural sense, yes, but not in the political sense. Yeah, but there's no fun or money in that, is there? How do you <laughs> how do you market that? You can't market There's so much that. fun and so much money in so many other places. <laughs> but you it's know what so I mean? weird. It's, it's, it's yeah, very yeah. it's very marketable and it go, you know. Yeah. Douglas product. Murray's very good on this, like, you know, this yeah. whole, like, going to the bank and seeing a pride flag. It's like, I don't, what are you doing? Like, what? Why do I need a pride flag at the bank? The British police now will have, like, pride lanyards. That There's a train, like, one of the trains that goes up the spine of the country, which is like a pride train. And it's just endless. And it's yeah. so boring. And it yeah. kind of makes me just want to wear a straight pride shirt just for the giggles, just because I'm, I'm just so bored of it. I'm so bored of being commodified. I'm so bored of this idea that I have less access to you as a human spirit than I do some guy who lives in London and goes through five bottles of poppers a week and has a really like, why, why? There's no reason for it. Um, but then, uh, yeah, I, I, I do think in many ways we, if there is a we, we have brought this on ourselves. And, and that's not just me making the boring old point about like, is there only, a, is there really a gay community? It's, there is a sense of homosexuality which goes beyond the interaction of what we're doing and is actually kind of in the, in the culture and in the words that we use. Um, and I think this version of it that we've got going at the minute may not be great. There's a point like seeing as we're doing landmines, like there is, 
there is an interesting thing in all of this, which is that a lot of the people who are who are involved in this whole debate about um, trans and whatnot are gay. They're lesbians and gay men, right? And you and and then they're having a conversation about like sex stereotypes and socialization, and you see these things on YouTube where it's like three lesbians and a gay guy, and the lesbians are like going. Men are socialized to interrupt us and men can be really aggressive. And then you see this little gay guy in the corner going, I agree. I agree with you. And like, <laughs> we're gender non-conforming, right? In some sense, I suppose we're automatically gender non-conforming. And then most of us are gender non-conforming in some other way, which is grafted on top of that and is part of our personality. Call it yeah. that. So surely we have to accept that those things might not apply now i'm gonna get so much trouble for saying that and please don't hear this wrongly the radfem lesbians have done more than anything else to stop the erosion of biological sex which would have ruined my life if i had been growing if i'd been born 20 years later i think i i didn't want to think about it so but at the same time i do feel like it might be time for some gay men just just be a little bit more just push back a little bit on this idea because we haven't been very active in this debate. And maybe that's because we need to kind of be prepared to accept that, hmm. you know, it's not as simple as all men are socialized to talk over all women. And if you're going to find outliers, they're probably going to be homosexuals. Hmm. So you want more alpha homosexuals then? <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I, I guess we know your type. <laughs> uh, yeah, you should say that to my fella. Not be an interesting conversation. Um, well, if I can get a word yeah. out, he tends to interrupt everybody, doesn't he? Well, in some ways, like I think that I'm quite. Oh, jeez. I mean, you just get into these terrible stereotypes. But yeah. I think yeah, I'm yeah, quite. Yeah. Um, I don't find it difficult to like interrupt people and talk over people. So I'm not sure I'm a terribly good gay man in that sense, if we're going to play that game. Um, <laughs> I think I'm quite intellectually, I can be quite intellectually um, robust, I would say. Aggressive, maybe. Well, um, you need to be to do the work you do. Yeah, arguably, yeah. It's... It's difficult. I mean, the other night I was in this chat with this woman and, you know, her son's doing this and he's, he's really not well. He's probably, it sounds from what I can hear that it sounds like he's probably got something going on, like schizophrenia, like a serious, serious psychosis. Mm-hmm. And with so many times with this thing that basically clinicians won't really go for it because they're worried that if it if it treads on gender they just kind of tend to back off or some of them do mm-hmm. this woman she needed sedating i mean she she was so so upset she could barely breathe some of the parents going through this it's it's horrific um so yeah you do need a certain strength and one of the things i'm really interested in is connecting like i just there are so many people, like, think about that whole super straight thing, how brilliant that was. It was so much fun, the super straight moment, right? It was great. Um, how many of those... That was a hot minute. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, it Reddit was nuked amazing. that community too. They were at like twenty three thousand followers. It was I know. Like, I know. I think it was like twenty eight thousand, if I recall correctly. But you know, those people are still out there, and yeah. How many of them know that there are thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of gender-critical parents of trans-identified kids? Thousands. Because it didn't take me that long to find them. You don't have to look that hard. So I feel like over in one direction, you've got like an army of people, like these young, kind of meme-fluent, smart, gender-critical people who, who... I don't think, I'm sure there are a few bigots within them, but I don't think they're bigots. You know, most of the super straight people, there was a little bit of bigotry, but nothing to write home about. And then over here, completely like in the other direction, you've got these parents who are being, they're being attacked. They're really being attacked. Like the schools are coming for them. The therapists are just seeming like, it's pretty narcissistic. Like the therapist's, seeing these kids for 45 minutes and saying, yeah, your your son needs to transition or he'll commit suicide, which is the universal story. And the media and all the rest of it, and they just feel completely under siege. So over here, you've got the, the town, which is under siege. Over there, you've got the army, these young, energetic, like the super straight people. And I'm just like, can't we find somebody to send the army to defend the town? I want yeah. to do something where it's like, a parent who is gender critical and has a trans identified kid can go on, go on like Twitter or something and say, you know, I actually don't want my son to take estrogen. I, I think it's the wrong thing to do. The TRAs will land like the flying monkeys in the Wizard of Oz gay stereotype. And then like, I want there to be like a, like a bat signal that can be sent up into Twitter to bring the super straights in to defend these parents. That, I really want that. Like the bat signal that kind of says, you know, they have a right to articulate their mm. view of what's going on in their families. Doesn't mean it's necessarily correct, but they have a right to articulate it. Yeah, yeah. There's a uh, latent capacity. I'm just thinking 4chan. Like you need a 4chan uh, contingent that can meme, m- do the meme wars back. And that super straight moment was a moment of, I think it was very telling about how people are fed up with the sanctimony uh, yeah. that the that the trans rights movement has accepted upon itself as this is now that we are now on the front lines of progress. Anything against our will is, of course, backwards and bigoted uh, and the, all that sanctimony. And people were fine, like do whatever you like the J.K. Rowling thing. Do whatever yeah. you want. Yeah. Do whatever you want with your body. Don't tell me what to do with mine. And don't try to say that you're something that you're not like, yeah. you know, just like well, people are just fed yeah. up with that. I genuinely think that you could write thousands of words which were entirely in line with the with the most uh, sort of purest doctrine of the the disembodiment movement, right? The kind of TRA movement, for want of a better term. And then you could just include like one politically incorrect ethnic joke at the end of it it had nothing to do with trans like where the punchline was i don't know like a chinese person not being able to say r or something you know what i mean and it's like well that would cancel the entire thousand words you've just written because these people are incapable of humor 
maybe that's too strong, but they're incapable of most types of humor. It's the most humorless movement. It's, it's not allowed. Because, uh, right. well, ultimately, I think it's because humor requires flexibility of thought and certain there's a certain aspect in the orthodox radical disembodied movement i like that word um that can't stomach um wiggle room can't stomach debate in a sense can't stomach things from more than one side because then that gives people individual power to assess claims and you can't have that humor is the easiest mm -hmm. way to to test a claim um mm -hmm. But the most yeah. accessible way to point out a silliness or a flaw is is yeah. through laughter ridicule. Not allowed at Jonestown. Ooh. No humor is that at another, Jonestown. Like, uh, is that I another imagine. like Beatles reference? No, no, no. That's just you know Jonestown in Guyana yeah. where he took. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like how you just have all these little sayings. They're like these little shillings, and <sighs> you have a pouch, and you kind of just sprinkle them. Through the day. Just it just occurred. Well, I, yeah, it, it, yeah. <laughs> I don't know that uh, I do worry because I say all these things and, and but then I would totally have been one of the I would have done this I would have done this I would have fully done this like the TRA <laughs> stuff I would have thought myself into that particular thought myself up that particular ladder and the thing is there's we need ladders down for these kids we need to give them a way to climb down because yeah. you know well I, you know what they're gonna I, I think I, I think more of a what, you know, what does the fireman bring out like a stretcher or like w when somebody's going to drop off a building like like some sort of trampoline we need something yeah, that, can, like that can allow them to to fall but to not hmm. break you know to, to kind of pad the landing back into a more realistic version of uh, embodiment yeah. Yeah, we do. We we do. And I think I think that it's also like, you know, they're living in a world where you can tape a banana to a wall and sell it for two hundred thousand dollars. You know? How do we how it's all very well and good people kind of laughing at them and, and there is some value in that, but ultimately it's like, well, our world's meaningless. In so many ways, it's become meaningless. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. they're off creating this weird Linnaean taxonomy of sexual identities and gender identities and all the rest of it and creating mm -hmm. this, like, recursive, intricate, immersive, like, almost like a multiplayer world, except they're actually doing it with their bodies. So what do we have to offer them? Like, what are they going to do? What else are they going to do? Okay, so they're going to make music. Well, how do you make money making music? You used to be able to make money making music. It's really difficult well, now. Yeah, yeah. Are they going to make physical YouTube products? Videos. Yeah, you, yeah. That might be a growth growth market. Um, well, that's weird. I think a part of the, and it's brought up by Abigail, but a part of the economy of this is that you can actually sustain yourself by promoting this ideology and you can actually make Ooh, a living yeah. off of uh, being an identity. You could, any yeah. identity, you could actually market yourself as an identity, get plugged into a community and actually live as an identity, talking about an identity. And then, you, then there's yeah. all these subcategories of that. I mean, I, I do that at, 
implicitly because I'm a white male and everybody knows that I'm going to be dead soon. So you better pay attention to me because I'm going to be part of the canon, whether you like it or not. Uh, there's no canceling me after a certain date. Um, so I, I play that politic, uh, you know, but I'm so privileged that I don't have to do it up front and center. Um, mm. it's, and it's tempting. It's a difficult thing to navigate because like somebody's dangling this thing in front of you, which is like, a get out. I mean, this is how dollars all happened, right? It's like, well, I, look, I mean, I can just go and buy some fake tan and curl my hair and I, I've got a career. I've got a career. I've got social life, social activities. I've prestige, got a media presence, status. prestige, um, sort of a feeder, like a, a pool of, of new things coming towards me. So I don't have to go out and make my own opportunities. And one of the things that's interesting about this whole about queer in particular and, and the versions of transgenderism which are more social and less bodily hmm. is they're kind of just like they're kind of like level up you know so imagine that you're imagine that you're you so you're a straight white man but you grew up in a really kind of yeah and you're cis the f- <laughs> The absolute the nerve, nerve. You. the nerve. <laughs> I'm disgusted. And you grow up in like a really poor environment, let's say. And let's say, I don't know, you had like an alcoholic dad or whatever. And then you go off to, you make it to college. You go to college and there's some guy and let's say he's incredibly handsome and he's wealthy. He's from a wealthy background. Seems really well adjusted. Happens to be Hispanic. So then you're sat down and told that you have this natal privilege. But there is something you can do, which is you can level up. You can become non-binary or queer. And then that's that's way more points than Hispanic. Like, come on. So then, so it's the one thing which is enabling people to jump the ladder in this horrible transactional system mm-hmm. um, in a way that you can't do with race. Although I did see somebody the other day on Twitter saying um, it was it was this girl and she was like, "Can't believe I just got called white. I'm literally half French and half Belgian, you know." So <laughs> the category of white is shrinking as well. <laughs> well, good. She, she's not super white. She's French and Belgian. Yeah, famously oppressed Belgians. <laughs> no, I know. I love their beer, though. So I appreciate that contribution. If they had any other contribution to society, I don't know, but I, I don't mind their Trappist ales. Oh, the French have lots of jokes about them. Uh, they, you know how you know how like traditionally in England there would be the this the joke would be the Englishman, the Scotsman, and the Irishman, and the Irishman is always the butt of the joke. So the the Belgians are like the butt of the joke among everyone who speaks French. But yeah. Yeah, she's basically there. She's the uh, Western European version of the African American. Like that's basically <laughs> what Belgian is. That's humor. I I need to go, well, Mister Fox. Okay, I need to fly. Uh, I'm gonna. Uh, would you? How should we end this? How should we land the plane, as they say? So shameless plug. Um, look out for Genspect is coming soon. It's genuinely quite exciting. It's all these people from, like. Stephen Levine and Marcus and Sue Evans, who were uh, at the Tavistock and left 
when they were so that's where Kira Bell, the Kira Bell case in the UK came from, and they were clinicians there and they left and Stella O'Malley and all these people have come together to form this new organization and it's going to say the things that parents can't say because they're terrified of losing their kids. So it's going to articulate all these viewpoints. The other thing is I wanted to say is there's a guy called Brenton Nets, B-R-E-N-T-O-N. N-E-T-Z, that's Z for you, who, um, I won't say too much, I'll just say Google that name, and I think some of your listeners might be interested to read about that case and might want to help the guy out a little bit, um, if you are somebody who's worried about what's going on with these kids and wants to do something to help these parents, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I hope. The one thing, I, if I if if I can just say this, like if people really want to do one thing, it's that whole idea of the super straights connecting them with the parents. Like, just try and find out about these parent communities, and you'll see you're dealing with some pretty cool people. Some of these parents are pretty cool, you know. They're pretty interesting people, and they are in a desperate state, and they are suffering. But they're also really interesting people and they need to be defended. But, you know, you get something. But I've given my life to this now for six months. You get a lot back from helping these people. They're very, very unique people. And so I would say to people, like, if you want to get involved in helping these parents of trans identified kids, these gender critical parents, it's not charity. They will give you so much. They're such great company and they're so interesting and they have all these ideas that spark off in different directions. So just get on Twitter and and look, you know, start looking for different viewpoints and you might be surprised. Well, thank you for your evening, Mr. Fox. Thank you very much, Mr. Boyce. I'm going to end it there. Congratulations for reaching the end of the discussion. If you enjoyed it, do be sure to leave a review or a comment or a thumbs up or whatever you need to do to show that glorious algorithm that this is some good stuff. And do be sure to go and check that back catalog as it is brimming full of fantastic conversations. Links to provide monetary support are down there in the description as well. Have a good night.